Hi, it's John here. What on earth just happened? I'm talking about 2020. How in the world can you describe the past year? Is there one word, just one word that captures what we've been through? My producer wants to call it flaming dumpster fire. I had to tell him that's actually three words. We went to the folks behind the Cambridge Dictionary. They're using quarantine to define 2020. Oxford, on the other hand, picked dozens of terms that exploded in popularity this year. Words like unmute, lockdown, remote, and staycation. There's the cliches, of course, extraordinary and unprecedented. But across the country and around the world, Canadians have also risen to the extraordinary challenges of the year. We've seen unexpected disruptions and unlikely pivots across the full spectrum of society. And some of those changes, those will disappear along with COVID and others will stick around, affecting the trajectory of maybe the rest of our lives. So we thought as we wrap up this almost unnameable year that we'd look back on 2020 and ahead to 2021 and try to capture some of the opportunity as well as the challenges. And think of other words like accelerate, transition, maybe even metamorphose, or how about disrupt? This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. On this special year-end episode, we're gonna do something a little different. We're gonna take you on a trip, sorry, a virtual trip, from coast to coast to check in with six Canadian organizations that have been forced to adapt. Joining me is someone regular listeners may recognize, my colleague and occasional Disruptors co-host, Teresa Doe from RBC's Thought Leadership Team. Teresa's been tracking the trends all year and helped create our report, Eight Ways COVID Will Transform the Economy and Disrupt Every Business, which we talked about in September. She also contributed to our new Navigating 2021 chart book, which was just released. Teresa, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, John. I guess I didn't do too poorly last time. You did great. And it's so exciting to have you back to talk about where 2020 may lead, because I think we're all kind of done with this year. And it's time to start thinking about where 2021 may take us. I'm still struggling with that word for the year that's just passed. Uh, What's sticking out in your mind? A blur. That's probably the most apt and not uh, overly pessimistic word I can come up with. It has passed by so fast and we don't even know what really struck us. So in 100 years, people will call it the year of blur. That's what you're saying? Yeah. I can live with that. Teresa, the first stop on our virtual cross-country tour is Stratford, Ontario, a world-famous destination for fans of live theatre. Of course, there wasn't a lot of that over the past year, but we found someone who was able to put it in some really interesting context. Hello, my name is Anthony Cimolino. I'm the Artistic Director of the Stratford Festival of Canada. 2020 was incredibly challenging. We were beginning rehearsals and and well underway actually for many of the programs. We were doing 15 plays, introducing a new $100 million theatre and uh, we were stopped in our tracks. The economic impact was huge. It was a $20 million hit and staying connected with audiences was vital. We had fortunately been recording the plays on our stages. So we created a a film festival, which uh, unrolled over 12 weeks, and it was seen by 1.2 million people around the world. 
we have since that time started our own online platform called Stradfest at home. And the pickup has been enormous since we launched this. It's just galloping apace. And so that's very exciting. You know, Teresa, listening to Anthony, I'm thinking the word for 2021 should be resilience. What incredible resilience. You can hear it in his voice and all that Stratford is doing. And you've been looking at organizations, be they small businesses or community groups across the country that are striving for resilience. And one of the areas you've explored is how we watch. And of course, as soon as I say that, my mind goes to Netflix and binging. But we're consuming and watching content in so many different ways at the end of 2020 that could be really exciting for how the world of the arts and entertainment is shaped in the decade ahead. Tell us a bit about what you've discovered. So I think that the pivot that Stratford has made and other live theater and stage production companies towards virtual events and virtual streaming has been a really positive step for the industry. Going back to Stratfest at home, 44% of the 1.2 million person online audience was from non-English speaking countries, India, Germany. And so what that represents to me is that access has been broadened. Think of Hamilton the movie on Disney+. Plus. It, as of I think a couple of months ago, was the number one streaming movie in the U.S., this entire year, and it's been a boon to Disney+, Plus, which, as we know through our research in eight ways, hit 60 million subscribers in Q2, four years ahead of their plan. So it's not just theater. This has implications for sports as well and any other live event where it's an expensive entry, and that's not accessible to most people. And you think about the experience you get at just those entry-level prices. You're sitting in the nosebleeds, right? You can't really see what's going on. You can't really be involved and engaged. Honestly, I would much rather sit in front of my couch and have my nice like homemade popcorn in my lap and I get to see every expression right in front of me. I'm so glad you mentioned Hamilton because I loved watching that on uh, Disney+. And I, I just got to see the Christmas Carol at the Old Vic in London without having to go to London. Now, I would rather be in London in December, but uh, it wasn't a bad alternative and speaks exactly to your point of broadening the audience. Think of all the people around the world who are able to enjoy these great creations without having to go to a place where maybe they don't have the, uh, the economic means or the physical ability to get to the theater. But I still wonder how we're going to balance the two. I, I, I was last in Stratford couple of summers ago. I love the place and and got to spend time with Anthony. We had uh, a wonderful chat in someone's back garden about all that he was doing to reimagine Stratford as a live theater, as a destination, but also a place, and this was well before the pandemic, that could be enjoyed by, by thousands, maybe millions more around the world. Our Navigating 2021 report is all about the distributed economy. We can distribute arts and culture in all sorts of new ways. And we're seeing that in other sectors. Another one that's been decimated during this pandemic is the service industry, specifically restaurants that rely on dine-in. But so many restaurants and chefs across the country are figuring out how to distribute to people in place, wherever they may be, rather than having to pull them into necessarily a restaurant. So next, we head to the West Coast, where one restaurant tour tried to turn the tables on delivery apps like Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes to help food creators, the chefs and restaurateurs of his community. 
Hi, this is Brandon Grassuti. I'm with From2 out of Vancouver, BC. 2020 has been one of the hardest years we've had in quite some time. When March hit, we saw our sales drop off to nearly zero right out of the gates and found ourselves being forced to work within third-party delivery apps. Very quickly thereafter, we saw that these predatory rates were going to basically destroy what was left of our little bit of business. And at that point, I've come from a computer technology background and uh, decided to create From2. What we've done with From2 is a zero commission model, being able to partner with restaurants, charge them no commission in the uh, delivery fees, and all of the money goes both to the restaurants and the drivers. Got to give it up for nonlinear career paths, computer technology to restaurants. <laughs> Well, among the many things that uh, COVID has revealed is the opportunity to uh, jump not only sectors, but jump careers. And listening to Brandon, I, I was also reminded of an Indian chef in Toronto who I just ordered from who, you know, his restaurant has been shut down, but he's creating full Indian meals to deliver to your home. And that's not going to be the only way that we'll eat food in the future. I think we like to get out to restaurants. There's like the theater and symphony hall. There's something very special about restaurants and that will come back. But there's also something really creative about the distribution of food. And I'm wondering, Teresa, as you study different sectors that are getting their goods and services to people in place, what you're seeing that may continue in 2021. So if we think about just restaurants for a second before we expand to different sectors, what we're seeing is that restaurateurs are making incredible use of the delivery channel, though, of course, there's still a lot of room for growth. Ghost kitchens are, we're starting to see that, and virtual brands being launched through your Uber Eats, your Skip the Dishes, which really allows restaurant, restaurant owners to test out new concepts, test out new recipes, see what the uptake is before they commit to building out a broader brand permanently. So I think that's really, really cool because as we know, the success rate of a restaurant is, you know, most don't make it past five years. And so if they're able to experiment more and adopt a more agile mentality through this new channel, that is an incredible opportunity. The challenge, I think, this is not just restaurants, again, it applies everywhere, is how do you take the spirit of hospitality and apply it to the delivery channel, right? We know that people don't order drinks or desserts, really, not really through the delivery channel, but could you make an experience out of it? Could you have a cocktail kit where it becomes not just like an upsell or add-on, but it becomes part of that dining experience that you can try to replicate, you know, when we're not actually eating in restaurants? And there's a, a really important, almost existential challenge that Brandon speaks to, which is the tension between platforms that deliver scale and uh, technology and all the convenience that goes with that, and then the economic pie and how it is divided up. Restaurateurs, uh, even when they have people filling their restaurants, often operate on pretty tight margins. And to share that margin with a platform gets to be more more challenging unless you have the scale that takes advantage of the of the platform model. We had a really interesting disruptors episode this year with uh, Skip the Dishes and the CEO, a great Canadian company, talked about how they were even in the early weeks and months of the pandemic seeing almost a hockey stick increase in activity for certain food providers and restaurants that were drawing in People who had never been to 
the restaurant. The vast majority of people using Skip have not been to the place that they order from. So that's a terrific opportunity that platforms can uh, help deliver. But it comes at a price, uh, as Brandon spoke to. So it's interesting that he's developing a local model that may challenge that. And in some ways, that's kind of the economic story of the pandemic the tension between the platforms that have grown like crazy, Amazon being at the forefront, and local creators who are taking advantage of that, but also having to think differently about their economic models. And as we heard further from Brandon, his decision to create From Two wasn't just about keeping his own restaurant alive. He was thinking about the very economic model of the food business. One of the things that's been highlighted really well within this pandemic is the need for us to support each other locally a little bit more. You know, when our money and when our local dollars end up going to third-party multinationals, it could be Uber or it could be Amazon or it could be Walmart or it could be any of these, that it has dramatic ramifications as to what happens on the ground inside of our local economies. So we want to basically rebalance that equation and get to a place that we're able to help out these restaurants when they need it the absolute most. I think there may be another word to put into the lexicon of 2020, which is local. During the early weeks and months of the pandemic, there was lots of theorizing about the mass globalization and depersonalization of the economy. We would rely on ghost kitchens, as you said, and Amazon warehouses and just sit at home uh, and order things on our phone and lose contact with everything around us. I'm not sure that's playing out. I think people not only see the need to support local, it's reminded us of the human value of local, of getting out into our neighborhoods, our communities, our towns, shopping, even if it's for curbside pickup at uh, local establishments, and reconnecting with the economy as well as the community. And for some businesses in the service sector, like coffee shops, that's an interesting challenge because delivery isn't always an option. So on our tour, let's head next to the prairies where we found one entrepreneur who's developing a way to not only keep her business afloat, but to help others as well. Hi, I'm Alicia Esmail, the founder of Road Coffee located in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. 2020 was obviously a crazy year for a lot of us. You know, when the pandemic first hit, 95% of our business went on pause immediately. And so we worked really hard on our online strategy. We've been using growth hacking techniques that larger companies usually use and a new video series, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, as well as through our online store. And we launched a rewards program through our online store with Shopify, as well as a number of other incentives that really helped drive sales. One thing we wanted to make sure we kept doing throughout this time was focus on our values and working directly with farmers, continuing to offer micro loans and work with them directly because they're also facing a pandemic in these developing nations. It's been challenging, but it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. You know, when we're going up against the Amazons and the Walmarts of the world, it's a little challenging, but it's been fun to see the uptake in people's response and seeing more people order online. Alicia's given us a few more words for the lexicon of 2020. One is crazy. Yeah, it was a crazy year for for everyone. 
The other is data, and we can talk more about how businesses, even small ones like a coffee shop in Saskatoon, have been able to use data to reimagine and even transform their businesses. And then, of course, the third word is coffee. This was a year of coffee. I don't know about you, Teresa, but I think I have drank more coffee in most months of 2020 than I might have consumed in entire years previously. How are you coping through all this as a coffee consumer? I'm actually weaning myself off coffee. I find that it was making me too jittery and too anxious. And I'm now drinking green tea and water. Okay, if you succeed at that, we'll have another podcast in 2021 about the coffee detox and how you succeeded with that. I think that's probably good advice, although I kind of love my coffee, so I'm not looking to get rid of it. But let's get back to that other word about uh, data, because when we talk about the data economy of 2020, our minds go quickly to Amazon and Google and Apple. And of course, they've excelled through the pandemic. But one of the things I love about Alicia's story is how she has reimagined a coffee shop as a data enterprise and is finding all sorts of new opportunities because she has come to know her customers better thanks to technology and the data that, that feeds it. And I'm curious, Teresa, as you look across the country, how you're seeing small businesses particularly come to grips with the data challenge, because we did a, uh, another report this year called Small Business Big Pivot that looked at how Canadian small business wasn't really ready for this kind of pandemic because most entrepreneurs had not really invested adequately in digital capabilities and in data capabilities. Many are catching up now and that will make them more resilient, but also probably more prosperous and more connected with their consumers in the years ahead. What are you seeing from those who are succeeding that others may want to learn from? So I think that data uncovers a wealth of information about your customers' habits and behaviors. And not only that, but some of the more intangible elements like their emotions and their desires and their feelings of delight or lack thereof with regards to your business and what you are offering. And so businesses that are doing that very well um, are able to look through reams of numbers and inputs to be able to pull out the nuggets of information they need to design a process that will invite customers in through the virtual digital door and then out with you know your ideal product in the shopping cart checkout lane. So th- there's certainly a lot more for most small businesses to do, but I think they've got the signal from 2020 that the economy of the future is going to be shaped much more by digital technology and data. And it's not just the intangibles economy, the stuff we can't see uh, that we may uh, consume through our phones or uh, more generally through the internet. Coming up, we'll head to Quebec where we found a furniture maker. (laughs) And when you want to talk about the tangibles economy, there's nothing more tangible than furniture. He's hoping his COVID pivot proves to the world that manufacturing can be done and done competitively right here in Canada. You're listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. As we prepare to turn the page on this challenging year, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us over the past 12 months. It's our goal at RBC to provide Canadians with relevant, timely, and actionable insights to help them navigate our ever-changing world. 
and we hope you'll stick around in 2021. So please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a comment or suggestion, just email us at disruptors at rbc.com. I'd also love to connect with you on Twitter. I'm at Stackhouse John. Today, we're marking the end of the year by taking the pulse of businesses and community groups across the country and highlighting the ways they've adapted to the extraordinary circumstances brought on by the pandemic. My co-host is Teresa Doe from RBC's Thought Leadership Team. Teresa, the next stop on our virtual tour is Montreal, where COVID's impact on global supply chains really hit home for one furniture maker. My name is Soslan Soutier. I'm the president of Transformer Table. So 2020 was a surprising year for everybody. For us, it was very serious in terms of uh, change. We saw a great need to move all of our production home to Canada. There was anticipation in the market that COVID is going to cause a slowdown in uh, furniture sales. So Asian countries laid off a lot of people uh, that used to work in factories that made furniture. What happened though, it was that uh, the furniture industry, it grew while uh, the coronavirus grew as well. People stay home, they buy more furniture. So demand grew, but there's no workers. That created instability in the supply chain. So we decided to take it into our hands and build our own factory. What a fascinating story. I mean, one of the surprises of the pandemic was how much people spent in the early months on home renovations and on furniture. Lumber sales were way up. If you tried to get anything from Home Depot, you saw the lineups both in person and uh, and online. And in many ways, that makes sense, right? Our, our homes became our castles or our fortresses or, or our nests and cocoons, depending on your perspective. And that could have been devastating for Canada if we just went and bought everything from abroad. It would have taken forever to ship here, but also not good for our economy if we're just buying everything abroad. There's efficiencies there, which are uh, important for all countries, but being able to build especially higher and higher value products in our economy is a really interesting opportunity coming out of this pandemic. Teresa, is there anything that you bought this year that stands out? Well, I bought a standing desk converter where I now have my laptop and monitors hoisted. That was probably the most exciting thing because I've always wanted a standing desk. And now that we're working from home or, you know, living at the office more (laughs) truthfully, uh, it has been like probably the best purchase I've made all year. Transformer Table is a great business story, but to listen to Soslin helps us see how transformation can be another key word coming out of this crisis. We have the chance to transform a lot of our economy, to think differently about supply chains and about the way we make things. A lot of our conversation has been around so-called intangibles, things that we don't see, uh, that we buy and sell and consume. And when you think of the tangibles economy, there's a chance to reimagine manufacturing in the 2020s and to do it in the spirit that we heard from from Soslin. He used to rely on 600 factory workers in Vietnam to make 60% of his products. And he's been able to shift a lot of that production to Dorval and 
transform what used to take 55 person hours to create one product by hand and to do it in just four hours by combining two people hours with two robot hours. And one of the things we need to think about coming out of the pandemic is all the skills that we're going to need in Canada to take advantage of these advanced technologies that are going to be critical to the supply chains of tomorrow. There will be more jobs and more demand for people in those reimagined technology-driven supply chains, but they will require different skills that Canadians are, are really good at, but we're going to need to scale up and ensure that a lot more Canadians are ready for those, uh, for those jobs of tomorrow that are gonna come with the, with the recovery. And speaking of the recovery, Soslin also spoke to us about his hopes for the new year. My anticipation is that our company is going to grow. We grew from uh, 10 million in 2019 to hoping to close 2020 with 45, 50 million. 2021 is going to be about scalability. Uh, how can we start this project, get it going, prove the concept, and then prove to ourselves and to other people uh, around us that manufacturing in Canada is possible competitively when you compare us to the Asian markets. Maybe that's another word for our 2020 lexicon, scale. We, it keeps coming up in every conversation. It matters, it's going to matter even more in the years ahead. And scale isn't just about consumers, it's not just about digital platforms, it also matters to supply chains. Supply chain issues were profound in 2020, and we got through most of them, but they also signal where things may be going in the years ahead. They cause significant problems for many retailers across the country. One product that was particularly hard to find, especially in summer, was bicycles. Hi, I'm Andrew Feenstra from CycleSmith in Halifax, Nova Scotia. 2020 was, uh, was a very interesting year, very challenging. The big thing that we had to do was, was pivot. We went to almost 50% of our sales were done online, and that changed everything how we did our business. We're just not set up for it. You know, I'm a bike shop guy, not a Amazon guy. And understanding how people buy online, understanding how the purchasing is done is so different than in an in-store uh, situation. So, uh, you know, it was a lot of training, a lot of, uh, you know, adjustments on running the business and investment. We had to invest a lot into our website, our online platform and get everything all sorted. And, and a lot of this was done multiple years ago, but the tap was just trickling before March. And then it, you know, it was full off wide open come March 15th. I love biking. And one of the luckiest things I did uh, just before the lockdown began was to buy another bike. My old bike had been stolen, typical story in Toronto. So I was able to get to a store just before it shut down and get a bike. And uh, every time I went back for accessories or servicing over the summer, I was always amazed at the lineups there and <laughs> listening to the uh, sales reps tell people, oh, you're going to have to come back because there just aren't enough bikes in the uh, uh, in the country. So it's amazing to hear how uh, Andrew and Cycle Smith took advantage of that by going to customers where they were, not by expecting them to, uh, to come into the store. Teresa, what else did you learn from uh, Andrew that's worth sharing? Something he mentioned uh, during our conversations with him is he was able to pivot super fast. And 
through that process, also learn how his customers buy. And by analyzing the data that he was able to gather and the company was able to gather, they realized that they were overcomplicating the process. And so by streamlining, they actually opened up new client segments, families, casual cyclists, new cyclists like myself, although I didn't buy from CycleSmith. Um, and it reinforces our insights from the A-Trends that you know, Canadian small businesses still have a long way to go to understand customer behavior, as you mentioned before, to improve that online shopping experience. It's not enough just to get online, especially with huge growth in e-commerce. That's such an important observation, Teresa, that businesses, we all tend to complicate things more than we need to. And shifting online forces you to decomplicate a lot of your product offerings, but also your relationship with the customer. Because if you require more than two clicks for anything, you're going to lose the customer. We heard that from restaurant owners who were shifting to the platforms. They realized their menus were really inefficient. They had all sorts of things on their menus that really didn't appeal to a lot of people. And they were able to, if you will, declutter the menu. So it's not just a matter of uh, decluttering your operations or decluttering the consumer experience. You can simplify your product line and become much sharper at what really matters to the customer. What I love about Andrew's story is that he's still passionate about the cycling experience. He wants to talk to people, even if it's remotely, about what they're looking for from a bike, because we all have a different relationship with our, our bikes and, 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 and cycling. And it's so important. It's wonderful to be able to have a knowledgeable person to talk to about that, even if it's by uh, phone. So by simplifying his business, he's in many ways able to get the best of both worlds of that in-person experience, of that in-person expertise, even if you're not with him in person, and then the efficiencies of e-commerce and delivery. We also asked him about his hopes for 2021, and his response was simple, maintain momentum. Well, yeah, going back is never a good thing. We always want to go forward, and that's how we've always run the business is, is always looking forward. What can we do? What's the next step? How can we stay in front of the trends? And we want to be best in class. I guess ultimately it's all about preparation. You know, there's a few things, you know, that you learn as a kid in, in Boy Scouts and that's everything that is our success for this year is, is being prepared for it. Not that we could have known what COVID was going to do, but companies that always said, oh, get online, get your e-com going, all that kind of stuff. We did that a few years ago, but it was such a small part of our business, but we were ready for it. The final stop on our cross-country tour, Teresa, isn't a company per se, although it's run like one in many ways. We wanted to head back to uh, BC, to the West Coast, where all those great Canadian road trips often end, and we got to Canada's westernmost provincial capital. Hello, I am Lisa Helps, the mayor of Victoria in British Columbia. The biggest challenge in Victoria has been a lack of a diversified economy. So when the tourists stopped coming and all the provincial government employees started working at home, uh, we found ourselves in a very challenging situation. So we created a plan called Victoria 3.0, recovery, reinvention and resilience to diversify our economy, to build our innovation ecosystem, to increase our global fluency and to make sure that whatever challenges lie ahead, uh, we're not going to be in the same situation that we're in right now. So the year ahead is going to deliver on some of the first projects in Victoria 3.0, getting an arts and innovation district in the north end of downtown up and running uh, and 
Working in the ocean and marine space, uh, we found building on our assets that uh, there are 75% of all ocean tech companies in British Columbia are actually on Vancouver Island. So early in 2021, uh, we're going to be launching an ocean futures innovation hub and cluster to continue to grow uh, ocean tech companies and uh, make a global splash in the blue economy. What an inspiring story to end on. It reminds me immediately of the podcast we did in August with uh, Kate Moran, who's the CEO of uh, Ocean Networks Canada, and Julie Angus, who's the founder of Open Ocean Robotics, both in the uh, Victoria area. We talked about open oceans and open opportunity. And anyone who knows Victoria knows what an exciting tech community it's becoming. Teresa, as we wrap up the conversation, I'm wondering what you're seeing, not just from the Victoria story, but from communities across the country that are trying to be resilient in the face of an extraordinary, yes, unprecedented challenge and what they can take into 2021 that can make it a much better year than what we've just been through. I think we've seen a really inspiring coming together across Canada people coming together for farmers markets and supporting each other, uh, the pivots that a lot of small businesses have had to make, just the outpouring of support and attendance for any initiatives they plan, any events they host. That has been really inspiring. Municipalities are ground zero for not just innovation, but all of those community ties that we want and we yearn for in this world. And so I think that is the real example that we can take away into 2021 is what are we seeing locally? What are we seeing in small pockets across the country that we can maybe scale and create, you know, a, a national spirit so we can all get out of this, you know, in one piece, hopefully. What a wonderful clarion call for the year ahead. And when I think of our Navigating 2021 report and its focus on the distributed economy, that's exactly what communities across the country, regardless of geography, can take advantage of. Victoria is showing one way at it, but there is an opportunity coming out of the pandemic for communities of all sizes to reposition themselves using the digital technologies that we've all become more familiar with, <laughs> perhaps too familiar with over the past uh, over the past year. And taking advantage of that word scale that we've heard through pretty much every conversation we've had for this episode and how organizations, whether it's a theater company or a bicycle shop, are seeing scale in a whole new light. I don't know if scale should be the word to describe 2020. I suspect it's going to be one of the words that shapes 2021 and those who can reimagine whatever they do through scale to get it to more people in more places, to take advantage of digital platforms, of technology and data are going to shape the recovery. Hard to imagine that in these challenging days of winter, but those who have been through crises before know that yes, <laughs> after winter comes spring, but that there will be opportunities in the future and we have to start to get ready for them now. My guest today has been Teresa Doe from RBC's Thought Leadership Team. Teresa, thanks so much and happy holidays. Thanks for having me and happy holidays to all who are listening. I'd also like to thank everyone across the country who took the time to speak with us. You can learn more about them and their organizations in the show notes of this podcast. Before we sign off for the holidays, 
I'd like to leave you with something from the Stratford Festival's Anthony Cimolino, who joined us at the start of the episode. During our chat, he reflected on how relevant their first production of the year turned out to be. This great play says, hang on guys, you are something, you are something valuable to the world. And you know, things could get worse before they get better. But ultimately, we will, in some fashion, come through this. Shakespeare, of course, lived through the plague. There was a period of time from 1605 to 1609 when the theaters were only open for about four months. He understood, and that's actually when he wrote King Lear. He understood that uh, there are times when we've got to just hang on to each other and, uh, and get through. And this is one of those times. If I remember my Shakespeare correctly, it was Lear who said, nothing comes from nothing speak again. So let's be sure in 2021, we all seize on the opportunity to speak again, to speak of opportunity, to speak of hope, and to speak of resilience. I'm John Stackhouse, and this is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I hope you'll join us next year when we plan to tackle some big topics, including the climate crisis, the skills needed for the economic recovery, and Canada's place in this new world. And if you need some holiday reading and inspiration for the coming year, I highly recommend RBC's new thought leadership report, Navigating 2021, which you can find on our website. Until we speak again, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. RBC Disruptors is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more RBC Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and visit rbc.com disruptors.